Welcome to what we humbly believe is the most empowering show on your radio dial, the show that proves you don't have to settle for life the way it is. You can do the things you love. You can face your challenges head on. You can start down the path to living the life that you've always imagined. It's called Growing Bolder, and I'm Mark Middleton. That guy over there is Bill Schaefer, a couple of hardworking journalists who challenge you by bringing in world-renowned experts, best-selling authors, and ordinary people that are living extraordinary lives. Growing Bolder is a radio show, a TV show, a magazine, a website, and more, all of which offer you hope, inspiration, and possibility. And in the next hour, TV's Lou Grant. Ed Asner is here. You're going to love what this guy has to say about life. And we're going to talk to one of the top independent filmmakers going today about never giving up on your dreams. And we'll meet a woman who's overcome tragedy after tragedy in a way we can all learn from. And so Someone else who had to become somebody else to discover herself. Amazing people, amazing stories. It's time for Growing Bolder. Well, folks, you are in for a treat. Uh, we just had a very brief pre-interview, if you will, with our next guest. And if he is anything like he was then, it's going to be fabulous. Few actors fortunate enough to be able to bring to life a role in such a way that their character lives on long after that part is finished and become an iconic fixture of American pop culture. But our next guest has done exactly that. Just say two syllables and everyone will know exactly who it is. Lou Grant. Yeah, that's what you do know, but here's what you need to know. Ed Asner's had a prolific career. The guy continues even at the age of 83 to maintain a schedule so robust it would exhaust a 25-year-old. He is one of the most honored actors in the history of television. He's been awarded seven Emmys, 16 nominations, five Golden Globes. Let's say hi to the great Ed Asner. How you doing, Ed? make a living oh my gosh <laughs> we thought you'd be a lot more up and positive after hearing an introduction like that well i know i, I but it, it it drives me into my shell the, the gloriousness of that introduction is just too much i can't handle it you know it's funny and honestly ed you probably don't like it because you're not the kind of guy that looks backwards you are so busy and doing so much it seems like you've got your eyes on tomorrow I have my eye on the prize, you know. I'm waiting for the Nobel. <laughs> have you been nominated? No. Well, we got to work on that. Well, I, w- I wonder if I could talk you guys into doing something about that. Oh, you and everybody else. Yeah. Is that right? You, you, you're uh, besieged by all. Mark is working up a nomination for Cloris Leachman right now. <laughs> we, she, she called us the. Uh, uh, we had her on the radio. She was sitting in a dentist chair. That's how dedicated she is to well, being on this program. I pity that poor dentist. <laughs> hey, Ed, let's talk about your career just a little bit if we Let can. Let me finish this prune. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> While you're finishing the prune, here's the question, if you will. You know, most everybody, if not everybody worldwide, knows you for your, your iconic stature as a television actor. But, you know, one constant thread throughout your career has been the stage. I mean, uh, what has drawn you to Broadway and back to Broadway time and time again? wonderful role. It was a wonderful play. I was with magnificent actors. I, it was a win-win situation. And I wasn't, I wasn't going to be there forever. You weren't kidding about eating that prune, were you? <laughs> mm. Yeah, you want one? Uh, no, I don't need one. Thank you. It'll take uh, the travel. Hey, listen, Ed, Broadway is... I wonder if you could. <laughs> Broadway's, you know, don't let... Everybody knows, that's a rigorous gig. It's not like TV or sitcom where you sit around and every once in a while someone goes, hey, Ed, go get your No, Emmy. no, 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 you're all wrong. <laughs> I only had two scenes, and they were scene-stealing scenes uh, because it was the majority of the humor of the play. So it was, uh, it was a win-win there, too. And we're talking uh, about the play Grace, and uh, Ed, yeah. you, you really were. I mean, you stole the show. Paul, Paul Rudd. No, Paul Rudd. I mean, I, I can't say enough about his wonderful work. He is a wonderful actor. Hmm. He just is. He shines. He took this unattractive role, the lead, actually, and, and he, he, he crafted it beautifully. I 
wish I could do that. Ah, you've done it time and time again. Folks, we're talking to Ed Asner, who really is, I guess he's achieved This a, is the only show I'm starring in the, the, this year, you know. Well, uh, you, you've got top billing. This is the is what we like to call the A block, Ed, and we, we reserved it for you. But, uh, but, but let's talk about one of your latest projects, because you have toured the country for, what, three or four years now in a one-man show that uh, has received rave reviews as you bring Franklin Delano Roosevelt to life in your play FDR. Uh, what's it like playing FDR? Well, it's a great honor, for one thing. I adored the man, and I uh, was awed by him. I don't look like him, I don't sound like him, but I try to approach him so that when I say his words, it resonates in the minds of the people and in the hearts of the people. I think that uh, he should be a crash course for everybody planning to run for office to see uh, what, uh, what, what great leaders are made of. Who, who's coming to see it, Ed? Are you getting a good mix of people that maybe were not even born when, when FDR was in office? Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that. But uh, I get a lot of people who, uh, it, who want to hear, who want to be reminded of the things that they were in awe of when they were, when they were growing up. And uh, uh, we have not had his like since then. We've had some close calls. Uh, Kennedy, Kennedy certainly was a good one. Uh, who else would you put in that uh, line? Millard Fillmore. Oh, yeah, yes. That was, that was the predecessor. Where are you guys? Uh, we're in Orlando. Where are you? You're in Orlando. Yeah, the media capital of the world. Yeah, also possibly a center for uh, uh, tornadoes, right? Uh, occasionally, but not this week, fortunately. Mostly not hurricanes. But a great place for you to come bring the FDR show. I think I did do it there. I'm not sure, but I, I think it. I did do it there maybe in the first or second year. Oh. But you know what we are home to is Disney, and uh, at least a big part of Disney. You and, certainly and, are. And wasn't Disney Pixar behind uh, Up, which uh, of, of the many roles you've played, uh, uh, did that surprise you as much as any, uh, the, the response that that got? It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. How can you deny it? It, it, it just does everything. I don't know about surprise, when I finally saw the totality of it and I saw how people responded to it, they would, it's, it's a double love story. And uh, you, you, you get uh, two whacks for the price of one. And uh, there's just something magical about it. And Ed, that you know that film was a few years ago, but you'd never sit still. We talked about Broadway and FDR. You're doing a number of guest TV shots. I saw you on Hawaii Five O, Hot in Cleveland. You're working on a feature film with the great Carol Kane called Should Have Been Romeo. Are you ever going to slow down? You, you know, you heard what uh, what uh, Satchel Paige said, don't you? That he could get in bed before the lights when he turned the lights <laughs> off before it got dark. No, but he also <laughs> said, uh, uh, you slow down, uh, you hear those footsteps behind you. Yeah. So you keep moving. Yeah. Hey, Ed, uh, we're not out of time yet. I just don't want to run out of time, so hopefully we'll double back with another question. But we always like to ask someone like you, uh, who is a great role model for everybody out there, what they've learned about life in general. What can we learn from you? Uh, yeah, you're just an actor, but you're really more than that. Uh, what have you learned about trying to remain uh, significant, if you will, uh, vital a, a, as you enter your mid-80s? Humor is one of the greatest uh, salves that you can discover, that you can use, that you can employ, where, where you can find a way to make something comic or funny. Do so because it reduces the tension. It eases the heart and the mind. Uh, steadfastness is another thing. I, I like to think that whatever I said in the beginning, I, I stay with at the end and, and unless I can confess to being transformed by logic. And logic, of course, is the greatest weapon in the world. And Ed believes you should enjoy a good prune every once in a while. <laughs> oh, no, several, several. I, I would preach the, 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 uh, the practice of pruning very strongly. Hey, hey, what, what's, uh, you know, you've got so many years left. What, what's on your to-do list, Ed? I mean, you, you know, you've got... I have a very generous view. 
you. I didn't know I had so many years. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, we are certainly hoping so. I mean, you, you've acted with John Wayne and Robert Mitchum and Barbara Stanwyck. You've been married on, them all. You've been on the growing. <laughs> you've, now you've been on the Growing Boulder radio show. Scratch that from your bucket list. Uh, what, what's what's left undone for you? What's left undone? Uh, to win the girl. Oh. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I I think. To be a hero, I want to be a hero. What is a hero? What would you have to do? I I guess uh, demolish the enemy and uh, and hold up the prize of the the deed to the land. How about that? Excellent. The deed to the USA. <laughs> you know, Ed, you, you get so many great roles, and you, you're very prolific in, a, in an industry where a lot of people have a hard time. There's ageism everywhere, uh, especially in Hollywood. Boy. But, but you are still as good as ever, maybe better, you know, honestly. You know, we mentioned Cloris Leachman earlier. She's as funny as she's ever been. Do, are we starting to appreciate that? Are we starting to get that just because you're over 40 or 50 or whatever, you can still be a, a, a dynamic part of creativity? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And they, they keep trying to make, you know, the, like the bucket list, and they, they keep trying to make movies with uh, old people as the size. It, uh, it doesn't work because uh, young people are the, are the market that they aim for, who, who shill out the, uh, the uh, shillings for admission. So uh, we weather that, and as long as we can keep popping up occasionally and surprise the hell out of everybody who's watching... That's all that counts, to show the energy, that we still have energy. But above all, the most important thing of all is to have an effective mind, to show that that mind of yours is as sharp and as witty as it ever was. In, in Cloris's case, it's frightening. And you know what? You're, you're pretty, pretty close behind her, Ed. I, I want to, honest to goodness, thank you so much for what you've done what you're doing right now, and what you're going to do. And here's, here's, here's my kiss off for you. I hope you like this. In his role as Lou Grant in the Mary Tyler Moore Show, that will never be forgotten. But what impresses us the most about the guy you just heard, folks, is at the age of 83, he is living life on his terms. He is doing what he loves, and he is doing a lot of it. Catch him on TV, at the movies, on Broadway, and keep an eye out for his play FDR and learn a little something about the way it used to be. He is... Ed Asner. Up next, a woman who, in the search to discover herself, found the answer in becoming somebody else. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit GrowingBoulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Hi, folks. I'm Mark Middleton with Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Boulder. You know, sometimes you hear how others find the path to a more meaningful life, and you think, sure, it was easy for them. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. Well, here's an example of someone who didn't. Julie Myers was a dancer, a singer, an entertainer who gave it all up after age caught up with her. You know, she thought it was about time to have a normal life, but she hated it. But what else could she do? Well, the answer was right there the whole time. She was the only one who didn't see it until she took a long, hard look in the mirror and she said, Hey, I look a lot like Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac. And that was all it took to create a whole new life. This is not who it appears to be. It's Julie C. Myers, widely considered the top Stevie Nicks tribute artist in the world. She's got the moves, the voice, she's even got the look. It just makes sense that this is what she does, yet it's the last place she ever expected to be. 
Well, just a few years ago, Julie was at a crossroads in her life. A serious injury had brought an abrupt end to her career as a theatrical dancer, something that had been her passion since she was a little girl. So what do you do when the one thing you love more than anything else is taken away? At the time, I didn't think of it in those terms. I thought that it was just ready, it was you know time for me to move on and to to live a normal life and you know maybe those days were over maybe I had my fill of that and now I'm supposed to find a job that offers health benefits and you know punching a clock and yeah and I thought well it's just time to grow up and do that but as the years went by I just found that I was more miserable and more miserable and any chance that I could get to back in, to get back into entertainment I, I had to take I had to take it because, as I said, I just felt like I was living someone else's life, and it didn't feel right. And now you really are living someone else's life. I know. And it feels great. Yeah. I I mean, what a compliment for people to mistake you for the queen of rock and roll. It's a mistake people have been making for years, and for years, Julie didn't pay much attention to it. When someone in an airport or a restaurant, time after time after time in my street clothes would say, either mistake me for Stevie or definitely say, do you know who you look like? It was always in the back of her mind, even as she tried to make it as a secretary, waitress, even a bartender. The inevitable comparison would keep popping back up until finally she decided to give in to fate. I had already had the little thought in my head and thought, why are people saying this so much to me? Why, why is this going on? And that night, I decided, you know what? I'm going to get the nerve and I'm going to go and find whatever kind of black chiffon or lace or whatever I can find that resembles Stevie and I'm going to dress up like her for Halloween and just see how it goes. It should make you cry, make you break down, And that was just the beginning. What was a few songs at first became an entire show. She calls it Nearly Nicks. And she set out on the road again. Closing in on the age of 50, Julie Myers was a performer once again. You're not a kid anymore chasing a new dream. Wasn't it too late for you to reinvent yourself and start another career? It hasn't been an issue because number one, I don't feel my age. And again, Stevie Nicks is in her 60s and she's still performing. And I've heard several people say, you never retire in the entertainment business. And how ironic that she ultimately had to become somebody else in order to truly find herself. I just really believe that you should pursue your dreams. Even if you don't know what your dreams are, I didn't know for the longest time. You know, I was stuck in this middle ground of wanting to be in entertainment but not really knowing what to do because of, you know, I was getting a little older. And she found out it's never too late to lead a brand new life. She's reinvented herself, reimagined her dream in a way that fulfills her and that people want to see. There's just one other person that one day Julie hopes she'll see, and that's Stevie Nicks herself. Are you scared that someday she'll see you, or do you pray that someday she'll see you? Both. (laughs) (laughs) I have had visions and dreams actually of of meeting her being in a room and she walks in and one time I just break down in tears because she really changed my life. I mean, I love her so much and to love someone you've never met to that degree because I wanted to be back in showbiz so bad and I knew in my heart I was supposed to be and I just didn't know the vehicle to get me there and she gave me that.
she sounds just like her. And, and the, the big thing there, if she would have listened, Mark, to all the naysayers, she'd still be a secretary somewhere. I guess it takes a little luck and a lot of courage. Yeah, and not to mention, Bill, that she has become the most accurate, most impressive Stevie Nicks tribute artist out there. Folks, you got to see what she looks like and how amazing she is when she performs. The video version of that story is at GrowingBolder.com. And, of course, you can also check out her website, NearlyNicks.com. Would you change your mind at the very last minute? I think you should stop for a second. Think for a moment. This could be a whole lot of trouble. Whole lot of trouble. Time now for our Boulder Nutrition segment, and one disease that's running rampant these days is high blood pressure. Do you know there's a 90% chance at some time in your life you'll have to deal with it, and as you get older, the chances get greater. Now, did you know there's something you can add to your diet to help you beat it? Well, here's registered dietitian and nutrition expert, Dr. Susan Mitchell. Bill, I don't know if you had these at lunch when you were in grade school, but I'll never forget those bright purple Slice canned beets the cafeteria lady would dump on the tray. Well, they're back, and believe it or not, that's great news for more than 65 million Americans with high blood pressure. Beets may be an effective way to bring your blood pressure down. A recent study found that one cup of beet juice a day lowered blood pressure about 10%. Why? Because beets contain a high level of nitrates that convert to nitric oxide, which expands in your veins and arteries, resulting in improved blood flow to the brain and heart. Why does it have to be beets, though? Because you make a great point. A lot of people don't like them, so they probably have to do a lot more than just lower your blood pressure to get people to eat them. Well, Bill, they do. Beets are low in calories and contain potassium, vitamin C, folate, and fiber. No doubt you've heard the chatter about inflammation in the body and the tie to heart disease and other health issues. Well, Beets contain betaine, which helps to lower the homocysteine level in the body tied to that inflammation. Toss them in salads, throw them in a vegetable smoothie, or my favorite, roast them. And an FYI, beet juice can turn your urine pink because of the natural, colorful pigments. But this is nothing that you have to be concerned about. Give them a try because big benefits come from beets. Registered dietitian and nutrition expert, Dr. Susan Mitchell. Up next, someone who's discovered the best way to get the most out of retirement is to give back. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. You're listening to Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and there's a new movement underway in the healthcare industry we want to talk about, a new movement that makes a big difference to patients everywhere, and it's only happening because a group of selfless nurses who, despite the fact that they work in a highly stressful, exhausting profession, have seen a greater need out there, and they are volunteering even more hours to help fill it. Yeah, it's called Faith Community Nursing, which is a specialized practice that understands that health is not just the absence of illness, but it's it's really so much more. They focus on the patient's spirit and holistic health to trigger healing or prevent and minimize illness. There are over 15,000 faith community nurses across the country, and one of the very best is Betsy McKeeby. Hey, Betsy, how are you? Hello, doing well, thank you. Yeah, you know, before we get too deep into this, uh, how do we do defining what you do? Is that a pretty good description of faith community nursing or not? You did a great job. It is working 
to combine the elements of faith with the knowledge that we have about physical health so that the person can reach their wholeness. So, so great description. So what comes first, the chicken or the egg, when it comes to someone like you? Were you drawn to this because, A, you were a nurse and wanted to help people feel better, or B, because of your strong faith-based background? My whole interest in nursing began with not knowing what nursing was even going to be and uh, was told about whole person health, but quickly learned, even though that's been over 30 years ago, that it's really hard to take care of that in an acute care hospital environment. And so when the parish nursing or faith community nursing came along, it seemed like a great way to really share what I had felt like was should be the priority all along. So the faith was there, the desire to keep the physical, and then a program that met those needs. Hey, Betsy, help us visualize what we mean by faith community nursing. This isn't where you, like, go into people's homes, is it? You actually can, but you're not a home health nurse. You're there because that's their world. So you're meeting them wherever they are. So it could be at the church, could be in a hospital, could be in their own home. So so what makes a, a good faith community nurse? Um, you know, what are the skills that you have to have to do the job in a way that you feel satisfied? You have to have a passion for people, be wanting to listen to them and, and what their priorities are, what they see as needs have to be uh, able to accept their faith, to share your faith, have enough life experience that you understand everybody's coming with different problems and you're not going to judge uh, based on where they are. You know, I was also wondering if faith community nursing also helps the caregivers or the people who are in charge of of watching over somebody's health and come to find that the person we're talking to right now, Betsy McKeeby, helped design a five-day course that teaches counselors how to better minister to people, especially heart patients, so the caregivers know exactly what they're going through. We did develop that, and and it was extremely rewarding because, yes, caregiving uh, can be extremely stressful. And in some roles, the caregivers die before the person that was originally seen as the patient. So helping the caregivers know options, find respite, have the support they need is critical. And Betsy, help us understand how the faith part of this works, because I'm guessing that, you know, you want to, to minister people in, in a way that's most uh, advantageous to them. But, but but when people are facing health crises, are they, are they more open to, to, to maybe making, uh, you, you know, some, some, some judgments, some, some leaps of faith, if you will? Everybody's going to handle it differently. But yes, uh, when we realize our own vulnerability it does help us reflect more on what our priorities are, what we would uh, want to have as a legacy and uh, eternity. So, yes, the willingness to talk about faith becomes more open. And, and now that you're doing what you do and knowing what you do know, it, it, it almost seems like it would be impossible for you to, 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 to separate the two, you know, trying to care for someone's physical being uh, and not care for their spiritual being. Right. And I, you can't separate them. And so to stop and say, I can't talk about that, I'm going to call your pastor, or your chaplain is your first out would never be acceptable, but recognizing that they are specialists in the spiritual and can offer something even uh, more in-depth than I can on those areas, we can work as a team. Hey, hey, Betsy, we're big fans of of you, you know, as well as what you do. We like people that, uh, you know, really want to make a difference in the community and really take the time to give back. Can you give us just a word uh, about what you think all of our obligation is, our commitment is to try to make our community a better place, no matter what age we are? I agree that it doesn't matter what our age is. If we don't have a purpose, a reason for getting up each day, then we're going to be uh, very introspective. We're not going to tend to be a happy person. So recognizing that, yes, we do have something we can give uh, helps me 
feel like what I'm doing has value, but I think it does for other people too. Yeah, there's definitely no question that we get more back when we give to others. We hear that with almost every guest we talk to on the show and even somebody in the nursing profession. I mean, it's very interesting, as overworked as you are and as many years as you've done it, you're still willing to step out and to do more for people who are in need. And we want to thank Nurse Betsy McKeeby, especially Betsy, for your 40 years in caring for people and your desire to volunteer your skills and experience to help even more. Up next, an incredible example of surviving and thriving from a woman who battled cancer twice, fought heart disease, and overcame the death of her husband to accomplish something remarkable. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guards did hard when abstract threats to noble to neglect. Hi, Mark Middleton with Bill Schaefer, and this, of course, is Growing Bolder, the show that proves that no matter what life throws at you, it is possible to get back on your feet, to fight through, and to live a life that you never thought possible. And in just a minute, folks, I know you're going to be thinking, if our next guest was able to do it, then it's got to be possible for just about anybody, because what this woman has been through is almost beyond belief. She has proved what surviving and thriving really means. I know. I mean, what would you do if you had breast cancer? You fought your way through it, only to see your husband killed in a freak accident. Then you find another lump on your breast. You do the cancer thing all over again and then find your heart's been so weakened by the treatments that you have to have a transplant or die. Now, that's just part of a story of a woman who was so incredible, so courageous, and so amazing that we had to bring her on the program. We're very anxious to say hi to Tony Wilde. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing great. Good morning, guys. Do people kind of uh, hesitate to ask how you doing? <laughs> You know, for a while, I think they did, but now everything is so positive and upbeat, and I'm just so happy to be alive. I want to share that with people. Yeah, well, we're going to ask you how in the world that's possible after we go through a little bit of your story here, because I know our listeners are thinking that to go through what you've been through, you're probably about 102 years old, but you're just 50. (laughs) You must have been shocked beyond belief to find you had breast cancer when you were, what, 29? 29, yes. I thought it was kind of unheard of, but... I am in the medical profession, so being in the medical profession, I know anything is possible at any time, any stage of life. You know what? When Bill was sharing your story with me just a moment ago, uh, it was hard to understand how you could could continue on, but it really takes five seconds of hearing your voice, the enthusiasm, the nature of your voice to understand why you have made it, how you have made it. Attitude is everything, isn't it? I I truly believe that, and I think a positive attitude has definitely gotten me to the point where I am today, because when you hear my story, read my story, you know, many people would probably say, I'm just going to give up. There's absolutely no way that this could have a good outcome, but I was one of those people that absolutely refused to believe that there was not something good out there waiting for me. You know, out of all the stuff that happened to you, Tony, I'm thinking probably was the was the worst what happened to your husband. Can you tell us about that? You know, that was probably one of the deepest, darkest days of my life because it was supposed to be one of the most joyous occasions. We were actually celebrating my five years of being cancer-free. And at that point, I thought, you know, this is uh, the best day, and my doctors gave me the go-ahead to start thinking about a family, and um, little did I know sort of what was lurking out in, in the background. And, yeah, that was definitely hard, and the hard part was the fact that I was right there, and I had to witness this, and to this day, I just, I don't know how it wasn't both of us that were involved in this accident. You, you were on the road going on vacation. You had a flat tire, right? That's correct, on the on the interstate. 
it was an absolutely beautiful Sunday afternoon, not a cloud in the sky. And, you know, it's still almost unbelievable when I sit back and, and truly think of that day. Uh, a day that would take most of us forever, if then, to get over. But less than a year later, tragedy strikes again when you find the unthinkable, uh, another lump. You know, most of us try to prepare ourselves to bounce back once or twice. At any point, did you think, you know what, I just can't do this? Honestly, no, because I've, I guess you can say I've always been a fighter. I was uh, one of three children being the only girl. So growing up, I was always challenged by my brothers and always wanted to do what they did and you know, do it better, or I had to sort of fight for seconds in the family if I wanted seconds at the dinner table. So I consider myself to be somewhat independent and a fighter. Even with the, the new heart, I mean, mentally, that must have... How, how do you deal with having somebody else's heart in your chest? It's something that still kind of to this day kind of gets me choked up, um, especially because when my husband was killed, I decided to let him be an organ donor, so I was able to provide life for three other families. And uh, lo and behold, it came back, and, you know, it was sort of full circle that I found myself in that same situation, and there was a family out there that was generous enough to donate their loved one's organs in order to provide me that second chance. Tony, we hear something in the background. Are, are you at a swing set? Or are you hooked up to a medical device? What, what is that noise? Actually, that's my oven beeping, telling me it's time to take out my cookies. Uh-oh. Well, well, we'll move on with the interview so you can get to the cookies. You know, you have done something in the aftermath of all of this that, that really has seems to represent something for a lot of people, and that is completing a marathon. What made you want to do that, and what did that mean to you to be able to do it? For me, I wanted to do something that I could, I, I could honor my donor. And I thought, what a better way to honor life and honor my donor than to do something that I was unable to do before my transplant. So I started running, and I started running a little bit more, and I started thinking, okay, what would be the ultimate here? So I set my sights on doing a marathon, and I completed my first one in February. And for me, I thought that was sort of going to be, you know, my bucket list. I checked it off, did it been there, done that. But um, I find myself uh, wanting to do a second one. So I've signed up for a second one next March. And I want to challenge myself to even beat my time from February. I think, Tony, if we let you go without asking this question, we'd really be missing a great opportunity. What would you say you've learned about the true meaning of life? That each and every day is something to be cherished because we never know what tomorrow holds nor do we know, you know, what our future holds. So I'm a firm believer of living in the moment and doing those things that you want to do and, you know, kind of living a life with no regrets. Well, I tell you what, uh, you'll regret it if you don't get those cookies out of the oven. <laughs> so, You're probably right. And, and it surely is one thing for someone to have the courage and the strength to fight their way through so many challenges and setbacks, but... Only the most amazing among us would be willing to tell that story again and again to try to spread hope and inspiration and possibility. And we want to thank you, Tony Wilde, for, for all that you're doing, for setting the inspiration by running the marathons and, and showing people that if you can get over what you've been through and, and live the rest of your life, then it's possible for us to deal with our issues too. Many, many thanks to Tony Wilde. Up next, his lifelong dream was a long shot to make it as a filmmaker in Hollywood. It wasn't easy, and it didn't happen overnight, but wait till you hear how he got there. This is Growing Boulder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at growingbolder.com slash podcasts.
Hey, this is Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. And now we're going to talk a little bit about how even the most unlikely dreams can come true if you catch a few breaks and if you never give up. I mean, what would you say to someone who tells you that he wants to write screenplays or direct feature films? <laughs> You'd probably tell him to find a dream that is actually attainable. It is, in fact, though, a dream that our next guest has had ever since he was just a little lad. It's just that kids from Decatur, Illinois, don't often find their way all the way to Hollywood and then actually work in the business once they get there. But this guy actually did. Was not a direct path. It wasn't paved without plenty of struggles. But now in his 50s, he seems to be hitting his peak working at a prolific pace and living the life that he's always wanted. So let's say hi to the man behind such projects as Vampire Trailer Park, Stan Lee's Lightspeed, and his latest release, a sequel to the 1959 cult classic Killer Shrews, the one and only Return of the Killer Shrews. Let's welcome Steve Latchaw. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm very good, guys. Very good. I'm glad to be on the show. Uh, is your life as exciting and interesting as it sounds? Uh, yeah. I was at the grocery store last night. I, I went back today to buy cat litter. Um, <laughs> so it's so far, it's, it's uh, it, you know, you don't really think about it, I don't think, in those terms. It's just sort of you, you find something you enjoy doing, and, you know, you, you, you thank, thank, you're, you know, you're thankful, you're blessed that you're able to do it. And, uh, you know, you, you just you just enjoy it, I think. And, you know, we want to talk to you about that thread. We'll, we'll get to the return of the Killer Shrews in a moment because that's an incredible film. Our producer, Jill, absolutely loved it. Uh, but, but, but what you said is you find something you love and you just do it. But many people cannot do that. How hard was it for you to continue to chase your dream into your 50s? I think the hardest part of it is is the last part of your sentence, continuing to chase your dream. And I, I think I, I've had a lot of life experiences as everybody else does. I went through a divorce about ten years ago, and I've you know I've raised a son and got a grandson now. And and life life the you start to learn that the, there's things in life that are are more important. I was very driven early in my career. I had to be a success. I had to get things done. I had to accomplish X, Y, and Z by certain times and then life issues pop up and then you realize that what keeps you young i think are are the dreams that you pursue but you you think about them differently you think about them less as intense career goals and more just trying to find the pleasure and enjoyment i'm enjoying it more now than i did 15 or 20 years ago i, I it's not that i don't take the work seriously i don't take myself as seriously and i think that's that's important, and I, it, it's, I, I'm more in touch with that 14-year-old kid that I was when I first was interested in this now than I was probably 20 years ago. And you fought such a hard fight, Steve. I mean, and you are an incredible writer, uh, an excellent director. You really are a guy with a vision. You could make any movie you want. So why would you choose to make a sequel to a film considered one of the worst of all time, The Killer Shrews? <laughs> well, it's not. First of all, it's not that. It's not that bad. The original is is a lot of fun. It had a huge influence on a guy named George Romero, who later made Night of the Living Dead, and it's sort of the first horror picture that uh, had a group of people trapped in a house and their monsters coming after them, um, and uh, it got a bad rap. About 30 years ago, a book came out called The Golden Turkey Awards that sort of purported to talk about all these horrible movies, and some of them weren't that bad. I mean, it's it's a goofy film. It's not a classic, but it's it's a lot of fun. The reason we did it, I have been friends with uh, an actor named James Best for about 25 years, um, close friends. Jimmy made this movie uh, in six days in 1959, and I for about five years, I teased him that we should do a sequel, and he thought I was crazy for five years. And then we started exchanging ideas, and it took about 20 years, but we finally got it done. Can people see it yet? I mean, we were fortunate enough to, to have a, an advanced screener. Where, where can people watch this film? Well, our distributor is selling it uh, domestically and overseas right now. It looks like we're going to have uh, uh, this out on DVD in time for Halloween, which is appropriate. Uh, we're going to put out a, a DVD that will contain our film, um, the sequel, plus the original as a, as a bonus feature. And, and so uh, 
So look for it uh, in time for Halloween this year. And what were you trying to do, Steve? I mean, is, is there a formula to creating, uh, you know, a cult classic? I, I'm guessing that that's what it was. I mean, there, there were parts of this film when I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. You know, some of it is so over the top. Uh, you know, it's genuinely funny, genuinely interesting, but, 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 uh, but a strange combination of a lot of different stuff. Are, are those the ingredients that make a cult film? Well, you don't set out to make a cult film. I think the idea was that um, there's a certain marketer has been on on networks like the Sci-Fi Channel right now for what they call their Saturday monster movies. And frequently the monster is a CGI or computer creation. Uh, There's a group of people in an isolated circumstance, and they're very strict in terms of their formatting. And we knew we had to sort of riff on that. But neither Jimmy or myself or Pat Moran, who collaborated with us as a producer and on a screenplay, we didn't really want to do just a straight uh, horror film. We wanted to try to do sort of a tribute to the drive-in pictures of the 50s and 60s, and we also wanted to kind of send them up. So we wanted to have some comedy in there, which is, is, is pretty obvious. And uh, uh, we just sort of stirred it up and came up with a script that we liked and, and cast it and, and uh we were changing the script as the as the film progressed, and and uh, but that's kind of the mixture. Uh, that's why it, it sort of it, it has a lot of different levels. There was a movie that came out a couple of years ago called Shaun of the Dead, and uh, it was a film uh, that had a combination of humor and a little bit of pathos and uh, a little bit of action and gore, and all kind of in one mixture. And that was kind of the tone we were going for. Talking with Steve Latchon, Steve, you are far from a one-trick pony as a filmmaker. I mean, you worked with Dolph Lundgren and Command Performance. That was a huge project. You did a great documentary on the Beach Boys. What's your What's your cup of tea? What's your passion? You know, to be honest with you, everybody says, well, well you know, don't you want to make the modern horror films? And I, I tend to lean more towards, to believe it or not, westerns. I would love to make a western. I did a family film that was sort of a western called uh, American Black Beauty. Um, I, I, you know, my, I think my, if I could go out and make a movie before I die, like it's a wonderful life that has such a huge effect on so many people, that, that would be a real, that would be a real goal. Um, but you know, I'm kind of all over the map. I like a lot of different kinds of films. I've done so many action adventure things that I, that's sort of something I'm, I'm, I'm good at, but I'm, you always want to do other things. Uh, so. I, I just kind of keep my head open, and, and if I get an idea for something, it's like, well, okay. Uh, has anybody done that? No? Well, let's give it a shot. And, Steve, it, it takes incredible courage to do that. I mean, you didn't go out there to get rich. I mean, you had a dream that started when you were 14 years old, and you hung on to that dream. You worked whatever job you had to do to, to keep focused on it. You up and moved like everybody else does to Hollywood, and you were able to persevere, and you were able to fight through, and you were able to make that dream come true. And his latest film is The Return of the Killer Shrews, available at fine video outlets everywhere. Make sure to find it. We've been talking with screenwriter, director, and anything else he needs to be extraordinaire, Mr. Steve Latshaw. Thanks, Steve. You'll find hundreds of more interviews just like the ones you've heard today with TV stars, movie stars, rock stars, sports stars, authors, business leaders, medical experts, wellness experts, financial experts, travel experts, you name it, including regular people doing incredible things, all at GrowingBoulder.com. And Mark, that's not it either. You'll also find information there on where to watch Growing Boulder television and how to subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine. But for now... For our exceptional producer, Jill Middleton, our multi-talented engineer, Jason Morrow, and our founder and swimming world record holder, my partner, Mark Middleton, I'm Bill Schaefer, asking the question, are you growing bolder? See you next time. 
Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to growing Boulder, it's not about age. It's about attitude. Oh